Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Conspiranormal. Hope you guys are surviving the eggpocalypse. The eggpocalypse. That's what's that's what's going on in the world of online conspiracy madness. Everyone is uh, all of a sudden very very apt to share their expert opinions on poultry science and the conspiracy to prevent you from homesteading. Right. We've got Travis Watson, W.T. Watson, coming on tonight. We're going to talk about his book uh, Sasquatch Canada, which we may or may not have already done that interview, but. Um, we're just here to talk a little bit about uh, some things that are going on. We're going to try to do these little like intros, get back into doing these after quite a few years now of not doing them. Uh, but we figure that uh, these these are things that uh, probably after we record the interview, when we get to the energies flowing, that we can talk a little bit about some things and. And we've got some... Uh, what is the, the egg apocalypse? Yeah, we'll get to that. But we've got some great uh, reviews from the last episode. We had really good reception. And uh, I'm glad that it, that it resonated with so many people. So we don't usually get too many of these, but uh, we really struck a chord with that last one. Someone messaged me uh, saying that listening to your guys' most recent podcasts where you're talking about the extremist real suggestions... Uh, reels is the short video format stuff they said my god i can relate to so much of this after andrew tate got arrested my real feeds were like 90 percent escape the matrix shit great topic for a show i'm glad that not all paranormal fans like myself aren't completely seduced by that type of shit so yeah that was that was really great to hear thank you for that yeah and there was another one that we had as well that uh, was on our uh, facebook page conspiracy facebook page agreed with what you had to say about enjoying the mystery on your latest episode with conspiracy bros good to hear someone saying that in the podcasting space and i also want to read this one which is actually a youtube comment from uh the charles lear episode but i think that it fits in with the episode right afterwards 
he says, Grew love how you and your guests can have an interesting, fun, and knowledgeable conversation whilst other podcasts evolve into nothing more than name-calling and science-slash-academia bashing. Why, oh, why your channel isn't bigger is beyond me. Well done, Sergio and Adam. I wish you all the best for the year ahead. So thank you to that person as well that left that That's on, awesome. YouTube, on YouTube, albeit not on that episode where we're talking about, but... Like and said, I can I, I can fits. tell you why the channel on YouTube is not more popular because it has the word conspiracy. Oh uh, yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> that's exactly why. The reason we don't um well first of all the YouTube channel is always kind of an afterthought for me anyway. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. Because it's primarily is a podcast. Uh, we don't do too many uh things on YouTube unless we're doing like the strange realities and we do those live. So all those are up there. But um you know don't do enough to actually get monetized, but you know, when I was looking I was kind of afraid to ever get monetized because it has have the word conspiracy in the title. And I think that they would probably uh not let us monetize that. Because we've had like um I think Timothy Renner uh, put us, we did a swap cast with him and uh, they actually pulled his video. Yeah. And so he had to retitle it and then they let it go through. Well, I think especially an episode like that one we recorded, um, you know, with all the, the trigger words that we had in it would, uh, you know, send the bots to automatically yeah, demonetize we, anyway. So we had, we had another one that uh, from a couple of years ago that I never reposted that was, um, also that was pulled because we mentioned a certain word and i tried to appeal it but they wouldn't let me you were just talking to a robot both times i'll just put it that way yep the archons uh, won't let you get past the firmament no not at all so yeah some crazy stuff's been going on um kind of uh in the same vein of what we were talking about uh but the latest thing is this uh this egg price and supply crisis yeah i think you know a little more about this than i do i'm not uh i don't know i'm not as up on this (laughs) well everyone knows how expensive eggs are right now but um true i just kept getting this stuff in my feed about chicken feed something wrong with the chicken feed and and you know people get this like big agricultural company produced feed and they're saying there must be something wrong with it because all these people are saying that their their chickens are ceasing to lay eggs so it must be a conspiracy with the companies producing the feed and whoever else they are to uh prevent us from homesteading because not only do they not want to give us a big enough supply of eggs or just want to drive up the prices uh, they want to prevent us from having chickens in our backyards and i will say just um going off some of the visual cues a lot of these folks don't seem like they're particularly um, long-term or you know large-scale farmers you know a lot of people are just kind of doing this in their backyard and there's a lot of factors that can prevent chickens from laying eggs and uh i don't know how it would be in the interest of uh you know these giant corporations like a purina to uh make a subpar product that you wouldn't want to buy again that's kind of not the doesn't seem like the plan but maybe there's a master plan that we don't know about i guess well i mean i think that's a good point that you make about them not um being experienced people or like or like or like farmers people doing this in in their yard i mean recently 
and I say recently, within the last 10 years, a lot of cities and municipalities have allowed chickens. Yes, yeah, which is great. So it seems to be like, you know, like they, they're encouraging more of that type of thing in the last 10 years. So why all of a sudden would you not, you know? But this is something, you know, again, I mean, this is something that you're seeing in the reels and stuff. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like, like you're you're getting all this type of stuff, and but you know, I really think a lot of this stuff is like pushed by other industries and other, you know, like they they want to push their product. There's probably some organic, organic. It's all about chicken the feed. Stuff. Com- right. Smaller companies, right. and this is like an right. asymmetrical way they can go up against the Purina. That's right. Against the million big, dollar yeah. company against the billion dollar company. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. So that's, maybe there is a conspiracy. What, that's what this is. Yeah. And, and then also, too, I mean, you've had like the bird flu. So that's affected a lot of the chickens. And the bird flu uh, has caused like a lot of problems in like bigger farms. And there's been some big you fires. So many chickens together and there's fires and all this type of stuff. Of course, the fires, you know, that adds a whole other thing. Well, now, now, look, now look what they're doing to us. You know, they don't want us to to have these chickens you know if they didn't want to have chickens they would have to have not changed the laws i didn't i don't know they it's, it's just kind of weird who are they though i don't <laughs> i don't know you know that's that's the that's the billion dollar question is who are they you're gonna say. a lot of crazy stuff going on uh in the news that we're gonna touch on mostly in the patreon segment so hopefully we will uh catch you guys there to continue on some of this stuff i'm glad we really hit a hit a note with the uh that past episode i'm glad a lot of you feel the same way and know that we're not we're not crazy that's we right. may be weird but uh we're not totally crazy and full of shit so thank you very much <laughs> it gives me a lot of pride in the uh conspiranormal listeners yeah yeah that was a really that was a really great episode that that, that, that we did and got a lot of res- good response from it did you want to talk about the super not the super bowl that's well we'll probably talk about the super bowl next week <laughs> but uh the grammys no i think we should hit that on the uh you want to hit that on the patreon we'll hit the synchro mystic satanic right. secrets of the grammys on the patreon okay so look forward to that but uh before that enjoy this interview about sasquatch canada with trout with wt watson not travis walton you're right it's, there's a distinction Welcome everyone back to Conspiranormal. Normal. We know that uh, we took a little bit of a two week break there. That was uh, not meant, but uh, how we, dare you, Adam? But uh, yeah, I know. How dare we? Uh, but we are back, and we've got uh, we've got several shows lined up for you guys coming up in the next few weeks. So we put out shows pretty regularly for for a few weeks at least. But uh, excited tonight because we've got a return guest, uh, one of my favorite guests from last year. I think this is the third time. We've got uh, Travis Watson on. And, Good uh, evening. You know, Travis, I, I get this a lot with you. I was talking to someone not too long ago, and they asked me, who you having on? And I said, Travis Watson. And they said, oh, I really like his UFO story. I'm like, no, not Travis Watson. Travis Watson. Not that guy. Not that guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this happens to me a lot. Okay. I am not Travis Walton. Okay. Um, <laughs> If you're if you're looking for my books, I write under W. T. Watson. Um, 
you know, and that's that that's the the name that, that you'll find out in the world. But uh, I go by Travis, which is my middle name. Um, and the reason for that is I was born in San Antonio, and my mom happened to see the the movie The Alamo right before I was born. So, oh, okay. So you're here, I, here after... I am named after a hero of the Alamo, so. uh, Travis. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. Well, I'm I'm named after William Barrett Travis. So, um, but yeah. So no, uh, I'm not that guy. Uh, I've I've never had a UFO abduction experience. Um, I certainly never disappeared in a forest in Arizona. Um, although I have been in the forest in Arizona, <laughs> which makes things even more confusing because I did live there for a while. Uh, but I, I am not that guy. Well, one day maybe you'll be at a paranormal conference and you know, you and Travis Walton will be like right next to each other in the booth you or get something. A selfie. Yeah. So make yeah. it even more confusing. We, we probably both would get a laugh out of it because um, you know, I'm I, I doubt that anybody is is mistaken him for me but um yeah it's certainly the case that i've been mistaken for him so you never know maybe somebody will bring one of your books to travis walton have him sign it you, you never know it could happen that would that would be fun don't sell yourself short travis yeah i, th- I think he needs a new one <laughs> well like i said you know the you the have South more books than books he does seems, yeah you got yeah, way more books i, I really do yeah, <laughs> I'm working on five right now. Yeah, uh, like at this point, you have more books. We yeah, just so need to get that big screenplay for you. <laughs> the you did the Black Dogs one, right? Mysteries in the Mist, right? Canadian, uh, the Canadian Monsters and Mysteries, and, uh, and then Sasquatch Canada, uh, which Sasquatch is what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, and, you're and then I've got one. I've got a contract for a new one. So nice. Yep, nice. yep. prolific. <laughs> Not as prolific as some, I guess, but uh, yeah, I managed to, to I had that good. time period where, uh, you know, my spouse and I moved to Canada and, you know, I wasn't able to work up here. So um, I put that to, to good use and, but um, I'm working full time now and now, and I'm still off, you know, down the rabbit hole half the time. So excellent. Right. So, yeah, we're talking about uh, Sasquatch Canada which uh, as the title implies is about uh, Canadian Sasquatch sightings and encounters. And I I would just right off the bat, just say what made you want to write this book about Sasquatch encounters in Canada? So it started with Canadian monsters and mysteries. Um, I was, I I moved to Canada in uh, September of 2020, middle of the pandemic (laughs) That was a feat, believe me. Uh, Spouse got a job at the University of Waterloo, and we had a month to move. So we needed to make a cross-border international move in one month during the pandemic. That was loads of fun. But I got up here, and, you know, of course, you're doing the immigration thing and all that kind of stuff. And I I couldn't really – I couldn't legally work up here. So, uh, you know, I was doing research for, you know, for, for, for a book or thinking about doing research for a book. And I thought, well, I wonder what kind of weird stuff happens in Canada. Um, And thus was born Canadian Monsters and Mysteries, um, which is chock full of, if you're a paranormal enthusiast, there's a story in that book that you're going to (laughs) love. I'll just put it that way. Um, 
But I quickly discovered as I was doing the research that there were some things that I just wasn't going to be able to talk about in this book, or it would be seven or 800 pages long. Mm -hmm. One of them was hauntings. Um, Canada has ghost lore out the wazoo all over. Um, so, you know, that, that could be a book of in and of itself. And it may be at some point, <laughs> I haven't gotten that far. Um, and the other thing was Sasquatch. Um, there were just looking at stories out of British Columbia, there were just a ton, a ton of Sasquatch encounters. Right. Um, but what, what got me thinking was, as I was doing the research, I noticed that most of the people who were writing about, um, about Sasquatch were uh, U.S. authors. So, of course, they tended to focus in uh, either their particular area. You know, there's been books about Texas Sasquatches and, and the Florida Skunk Ape and, uh, you know, uh, Lyle Blackburn's great book on the Falk Monster uh, and, and so forth. Um, and, and when they got into uh, Canada, if they got into Canada at all, um, it was typically British Columbia, right? Which, again, has a ton of sightings, ton of encounters. It's kind of Bigfoot Central over there. Um, and in fact, they kind of brag about being Bigfoot Central. Um, so I got thinking, well, okay, because there's lots of, of encounters in, in, uh, in British Columbia. How about the rest of Canada? So I started doing some research on other Sasquatch encounters in Canada. What I quickly discovered was that the books that you typically reference have very little in the way of Canadian sightings. There's, uh, there's maybe the Bighorn Dam sightings in, uh, in uh, uh, Alberta. Alberta? Yes. Um, and then uh, uh, Golden Top uh, around Co Cobalt, Ontario um, is a... The, the commonly referenced Canadian sighting because of the uniqueness of the creature and the length of time that it was seen in, in that particular area. Um, but once I got digging at this, I discovered that there are Sasquatch encounters in almost every province in Canada. Um, the only place that I didn't find uh, uh, an encounter was Nunavut, which is, uh, as you know, as you may know, Inuit territory. Not a, a huge population there, and not a lot of cover for any kind of a, a large creature. Um, and you know, the, the indigenous peoples are a little more uh, reticent about discussing uh, discussing their sightings than than other people may be. Um, but, you know, I mean, Ontario, Manitoba, Alberta, you know, Quebec, you know, there's historical sightings in Newfoundland. You've got, got Sasquatch in Nova Scotia. I mean, they're, they're literally, there's, there's encounters in all of these different provinces. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to focus outside of British Columbia. So the title of the book is Sasquatch Canada Beyond British Columbia. Um, and again, I write under W.T. Watson and I'm not Travis Walton. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about Prince Edward Island, because I noticed that's not in the book. I don't think it is. Did you find anything um, there? Because I, I was kind of like, well, I wonder if there's anything on Prince Edward Island. It being an island, you know, I would have found that pretty interesting. 
Although it's not like that far from. Well, uh, yeah, but you have sightings on Nova, uh, uh, you know, yeah. in, in parts of, in the parts of Nova Scotia that are islands too. Right. Um, I, you know, I honestly don't remember if I had anything from PEI directly. It seems like there was a sighting there that that I recorded, um, but I, I can't recall the details on that one off the top of my head. But I'm, you know. I mean, literally, I found found at least one in, in every other every other place. So, um, yeah, there seemed to be more of a concentration in the areas that had uh, uh, lots of wilderness area, which is almost all of Canada. <laughs> uh, one of the things that people don't realize about Canada is the second second largest country in the world. It has the longest coastline of any country in the world. Um, and the majority of the population in this country lives within 150 miles of the American border. You know, so there are vast swaths of wilderness area that are almost completely unpopulated, um, such that you know you have some indigenous communities, you have some some you know hardy people, other people that live out uh, you know in these wilderness areas. But for the most part, there's there's Places like Snellgrove Lake in Ontario, which is famous for the whole Sasquatch attacks monster, monster quest thing that you can only get to by airplane. Um, so there's lots of places like that in Canada. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the wilderness is so uh, overwhelming here that, uh, you know, Canada has its own Lazarus species, um, the wood bison, which is by weight, the largest land animal in North America. You know, the, the moose are taller, but bison are stockier. Uh, the wood bison was proclaimed extinct at the beginning of the 20th century. And then uh, a, a, a Alberta forestry officer was flying along you know, uh, in a plane in the 50s and found a herd of 200 of these critters. And now there's, uh, you know, they've, they've re rediscovered the, the population, but there's, uh, you know, there's quite, a, quite a number, 10,000 or so wood bison in, in Canada. But we managed to hide them in the Canadian woods for 50 years. And nobody wow, knew they yeah. were there. That's an extremely large animal to, yeah, uh, that's, that's huge. That's huge pretty animal. amazing. I mean, you can normally with these Lazarus species, something like, you know, the coelacanth or these type of yeah. things, you know, they're, they're fish or an insect or something like that. Something that's not, you know, are either underwater or not very noticeable, but that's a, yeah. that's a big animal. Some salamander or something, you know, that, that yeah. people thought were, yeah. yeah. I mean, but a bison, I mean, any kind of a bison, but particularly the wood bison, these things are huge. You know, it's like losing a moose. <laughs> what part of the country was that? Uh, it was in Alberta. Alberta. <laughs> so it's kind of the, well, they call them the prairie provinces, but they're not all prairie. Right. Um, the, That's where the, people live, the, the prairie. The southern southern portion of, of those yeah. provinces is, is more the prairie area. And then, again, the northern part of the province is heavily wooded wilderness area uh, up in uh, i believe that area is boreal forest so it's uh, the 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 sprucey piney dense uh kind of forest that uh, that runs in that area out of curiosity you were saying that you didn't find anything in nunavut that would fit a bigfoot like creature but is there anything in there 
belief system or anything that the Inuit and I want to get the native beliefs about Bigfoot, but is there anything that, that the Inuit would be would be equivalent? Because I, I well, don't know if you've uh, seen the 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 miniseries the the terror. No, the, the British uh, expedition stuck in the in the in the ice. Oh yeah, you no, I, I haven't it, seen that one. <laughs> but uh, you know, I I didn't encounter um, anything from Inuit lore in in like the Nunavut area, but it's certainly the case that uh, um, the Inuit in over in the Alaska area have their kushtaka which is you know they call it the otter man but it's a bipedal hair covered creature mm. that scares the crap out of the local natives um and uh, you know there's been stories that it's responsible for actually uh, you know emptying villages up there so um but to you know like i said i didn't find any direct witness encounters <clears throat> just curious about that because there's you know i guess the equivalent animal for them would be like a polar bear or something i mean that's like a huge... uh, yeah, yeah but what you have to realize you know is that the native people here in canada uh, all of the the tribes that i looked at uh, whether you're talking about the cree or the uh, the more algonquin tribes or or whatever um, over into the Pacific Northwest where they have tribes whose names I will not try to pronounce because I would slaughter them and I don't want to insult anybody. <laughs> um, but all of these tribes have a name for this creature. Yeah. And they acknowledge its existence. In fact, uh, there's a, um, a teaching program uh, for young uh, indigenous kids now um, it's kind of a, a pan uh, tribal program, uh, but it's designed to teach them uh, the native virtues. And, you know, they use animals as uh, kind of the spirit uh, embodiment of these different virtues. And Sabe, which is a Bigfoot, a Sasquatch, um, is the embodiment of virtue. And is taught in the school, and they have you know these wonderful uh, uh, multicultural slides with you know, and they've got this Bigfoot, and you know it's there, and they, and it's to them, it's it's it is a fact. There's no you know, oh, well, we have to prove the existence of these creatures. There's none of that. Um, to them, it is a fact, and it is something more. Um, they acknowledge its physical existence in that they acknowledge that it actually, uh, when it's on our plane of existence, has a physical form. But it is also capable of uh, moving back into the spirit world. And, you know, thus we have disappearing footprints and so forth. Um which makes a lot of sense to me, given some of the, the high strangeness stuff that you see around Sasquatch. But um, yeah, so in, in most of the tribes either have a, you know, it's, it's very uh, interesting to me that some tribes, a lot of tribes, view these creatures as sort of guardians of the forest or even guardians of their tribe, um, looking out for, quote, the people. Um 
But then you have other tribes that have obviously had hostile relations with these creatures, um, where they were stealing their women, stealing their children. They're accused of cannibalism and that kind of stuff. If you read Kathy Strain's work, um, it just depends from tribe to tribe how they view these creatures. But all of them have a very intense respect for them. And if they did encounter one, uh, you know, I talk about, uh, you know, in the book, in the section on, on native beliefs, the, you know, the, the attitude is basically, you know, you keep your eyes down and, you know, you treat this being with respect. Um, and chances are it'll leave you alone. <laughs> but you're very fortunate. You're very blessed. It is a sacred thing to have seen one of these creatures. And um, uh, I, I just, I, I think that's a, a pretty good attitude to take into the forest with you if you're going looking for Sasquatch. So it's not so much uh, associated with fear. Um, as I said, there are some tribes that apparently have had bad experiences with these creatures. But for the most part, most of the things that I saw is it's it's a more of a if the, the fear would be more of the kind of thing that you'd get with the you know the biblical angels where the first thing they say is fear not you know it's this awestruck oh my god what is that kind of feeling um, that seems to manifest for people um, uh, you know but uh, the, the I saw several uh, accounts from native people who had encountered these creatures and all of them were just, they're basically awestruck. Uh, it would be the best way to, to describe their, uh, their experience as opposed to the unremitting terror that you see in some of the other encounters that people have where, uh, maybe they get too close to the creature. They're in the wrong territory or something. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't go as well for them. <laughs> Sounds like they have the cultural context where they can handle, they can handle these encounters a whole lot better. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that 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 you see a lot um, in in these encounters is that, you know, you have some guys been in outdoors or some woman, uh, you know, I'm I'm equal opportunity. Uh, I have both male and female stories in the book. But um, a lot of outdoors people, whether they're hunters or hikers or fisher persons or whatever, um, have been doing this since they were a kid. And they've never had, a, you know, never had any reason to really feel afraid in the forest other than maybe, you know, oops, I saw a big bear or something. Um, when they run into this thing, they don't have a, as you say, they don't have any kind of a cultural or spiritual or uh, even folkloric context for this thing. It's not supposed to exist in their, you know, scientific materialist worldview. And so it shakes them. Um, some people end up becoming obsessed with the creature and going out looking for it. And other people won't go back in the forest at all. So is there anything that uniquely distinguishes Canadian Sasquatch from its counterparts in the U.S.? Um, one of the things, and I get asked this a lot, um, typical, your typical Sasquatch encounter in, uh, in Canada is very similar to your typical Sasquatch encounter in, say, the Pacific Northwest, 
In other words, you're talking about a large bipedal ape-like creature um, that is typically between eight and 10 feet tall, um, that sort of thing. What I will mention though, is that, uh, you know, even in uh, among Sasquatches, there seems to be, uh, you know, some uh, difference in, uh, in height. Um, and this is something that I, I get on my, uh, get on my stump about um, in the book, because there's a, a series of sightings around Bighorn Dam in Alberta um, back in the sixties, I believe. Um, first sighting was by a group of people that were actually working on the dam project. They were in the process of building the dam. Um, they happened to spot a creature up on a ridge about a half mile away. So they didn't get a real good look at it, a real clear look at it. Um, but its movement and such was uh, such that they knew that they weren't looking at a bear or, or anything that they could identify. What set this creature apart, though, was when they went to, because they, they were observing and looking at tree branches and that sort of thing, trying to figure out how big this thing was. Um, when they went to the ridge and started to measure against the, uh, the markers that they had picked out, they estimated that this creature was something like 15 feet tall. Now, of course, the, the, the experts uh, immediately jumped on this and it's, oh, well, no, the, you know, Sasquatches don't get that big. Um, they're eight to 10 feet tall. And this is their, you know, you know, the official height and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, they, they bent over backwards trying to come up with a theory uh, that explained how these people were seeing this, you know, making the, this mistake um, of, of assuming this creature was this tall. And, uh, it, you know, in the books that I read actually had, you know, like uh, line drawings and diagrams and stuff trying to explain to you that the Sasquatch was actually not 15 feet tall. It was actually only, you know, eight or 10 feet tall. Um, I had to laugh at that, you know, it's because if you have a population of creatures, you know, even if they don't live here full time, but if you have a population of creatures, then, you know, it stands to reason that you're going to have variations in height. You know, I'm six, seven. Um, the average male in North America is like 5'10", 5'11". Does that mean I don't exist because I don't match the, uh, you know, the average height requirement? Uh, oh. You know, it's just, it's <laughs> ludicrous. If the Smithsonian found your mummy, they might call you a giant. Yeah. So, um, so there were, there was that sighting at Big Hornet and then there were a series of sightings in that general area that all seemed to, um, uh, be, you know, plus size Sasquatch. Um, you know, people were estimating them to be in the, you know, 14, 15 foot range, you know, maybe there's just, uh, you know, maybe the, there's just some pituitarily active Sasquatch in that area. Who knows? Um, I'm, I'm always willing to, to hear people's theories, but I, I just, it really irritates me when so-called experts are trying to tell a witness that they didn't see what they saw. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. You weren't there first of all, 
Um, and, you know, I'm sorry that this sighting doesn't fit into your little box, but, you know, maybe you need to get out of your box a little more often. Well, and who has the monopoly on what they think? You know, I mean, none of this is, you know, none of this is really, I guess, scientific. So you're really not like who has the monopoly on how tall they think or how wide or or anything else about about Sasquatch, you know, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, your typical Sasquatch encounter, you know, you got the eight to 10 foot creature. It's massive, you know, across the shoulders, you know, people compare them to linebackers and that kind of stuff. No neck, you know, the conical head kind of flat features, uh, you know, that kind of, kind of thing. It's kind of the, the, the standard thing, but you get derivations. You get people who describe Sasquatches that seem kind of skinny. You know, maybe it's a juvenile. Uh, maybe it's just a skinny Sasquatch. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not an expert, <laughs> and there are no experts because Nobody has actually documented this species. <laughs> right. And some of these strange variations, too, they could lend credence to some of these more, the more kind of um, non-material non -material type yeah. of explanation. Well, yeah. I, one of the things that I point out at the end of the book, um, you know, because the majority of this book was about showing that um, there are Sasquatch encounters in Canada outside of British Columbia and documenting some of those encounters so that people would have a starting point for, you know, if, if they were interested in, in, uh, in that kind of phenomenon. Um, you know, I didn't include every single uh, sighting or encounter that I saw or that, that I found in my research because the book would have been untenably large. Um, so I tried to pick out a good selection from each province and, and provide those stories. And then I have a whole section at the end of the book that talks about road sightings and stranger things. And, uh, you know, and the afterward that, that, you know, talks about how we really need to kind of think outside the box about these creatures. Um, you know, there, there's no experts. Um, you know, I, yes, I, I, I understand that there are people who've been doing research in this field for a very long time and they've been out in the woods and they've collected samples of things and they've got footprints and, and all that kind of stuff, but nobody's actually documented this creature yet. You know, from a, from a scientific zoological standpoint. Um, so it's still a question mark. You can't be an expert on a question mark. <laughs> You know, right. You can be, you know, you can be Dr. Meldrum and be an expert on Sasquatch footprints. Yeah. You because know, there's certainly plenty of those out there to take casts of and look at and all that sort of thing. You know, I mean, the guy has a specialization in bipedal locomotion. Who better to, to look at those things? Right. Um, but it's because he's an expert we, on primate. Yeah. But we still don't know what the hell yeah. made the footprints. Right. And dermal ridges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. That's a distinction because people would say, well, he's an expert on Bigfoot. No, he's not an expert on Bigfoot. He's an expert on his on his field of study. Right. And, yeah. and his field of study happens to intersect with some of the stuff that people are picking up for, you know, for the Sasquatch. Um, you know, so, you know, I just I, I get a little irritated with people who want to, to pretend that they're experts and, uh, you know, make 
proclamations about these creatures because almost as soon as you do, the creature is going to do something that just completely blows your theory back. You know? And yeah, that's it's interesting the, how that the, works. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's part of the strange things uh, chapters. I, I have several interesting um, uh, sightings that uh, do not fall into line with the flesh and blood theory. Um, I am, I'm a both and thinker. I am very much of the opinion that there could be, you know, uh, a small population of relic hominids or some sort of an undiscovered bipedal ape. There's certainly, as I said, plenty of room in the Canadian wilderness for something like that to survive. You know, this, this wilderness supports megafauna like brown bears. It could certainly support something like a Sasquatch. Um, but I, I'm also very much aware of, uh, you know, the the uh, indigenous beliefs around this creature and it being something that exists in two worlds. Be, it's it's a world walker, basically. Um, and some of the other, you know, really interesting theories about Sasquatch. You know, I mean, it's entirely possible that you could be dealing with something that came from a temporal anomaly. You know. I mean, after reading, after doing the research for Mysteries in the Mist, I believe almost anything would come out of the cloud now. <laughs> you know? So that's true. So on that note, one of the statements, uh, and I've said this many times, one of the statements that Jerome Clark made in uh, his great uh, unexplained books, uh, which I think it's on its like fifth edition now. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but you know, oh, he, yes. makes, he makes the, he makes this, this claim about, and this is about the United States that he's talking about primarily. And he says like, the further you go East, you're in the goblin universe, which means the further East you go, the weirder sightings of Bigfoot get as if Bigfoot itself isn't weird enough. The high strangest factor becomes higher. The further East you go. Did you encounter the same with Canada? No. <laughs> In fact, you know, if I had to to be geographical about it, I'd have to say the farther north you go, the weirder it gets. Because um, I That's had interesting. Uh, there's there's a couple of uh, of interesting um, uh, vanishing Bigfoot sightings uh, out of the Yukon and the Northwest Territories. Um, where somebody's driving along, uh, I think this was your uh, Yellowknife, um, which would be in uh, Northwest Territories. Um, fellow's driving down the road. Um, it's typical roadside sighting, right? He's driving down the road. He sees a Bigfoot. He's watching this. He slows down. He's watching this creature, and it's ambling along. You know the the break where the utility line goes, right? It's just walking along, and as so often happens in these sightings, it doesn't seem to be paying him the slightest bit of attention. But as he watches it, it becomes transparent. He can see through it, and. Within, you know, four or five more steps, it vanishes completely. So it's just like it faded out, <laughs> uh, which is my, my favorite vanishing story. But there's, there's uh, you know, there's uh, another, another one that uh, uh, where the fellow is walking. He's, uh, again, Northwest Territories, if I remember correctly. Um, he 
did some kind of work with mines. Um, I think he was a mine safety officer or something like that. And he was going from one mine to another mine. There's a lot of them up here. Um, he decided that uh, instead of trying to make the, the town that he was going to, he was going to stop next to this, you know, scenic river and he was going to camp for the night which, you know, is not an uncommon thing to do in Canada because, you know, if you're traveling the kind of distances that you have to travel to get anywhere here, um, it's probably a good idea for you to have a tent and some camping gear and some other survival equipment with you in case you need to, you know, bunk down for the night. Because uh, there's it, it, unless you've lived in a state like Texas, um, you just don't quite grok how big the provinces are here. Um, but anyway, he, he bunked down, uh, he, he uh, you know, set up his tent and, and, you know, had his dinner and, and all this sort of thing. And, and he's uh, taking a walk um, along the trail uh, next to the river. And, once again, you know, he turns a corner, he comes around a bend and encounters two Sasquatch, one of them, uh, what we would probably term a large male, somewhere eight, to eight feet tall or so. The other one seemed to be a female because it appeared to him that it was pregnant. Um, and of course, he's taken, a, not only is he taken aback by, you know, running into something that isn't supposed to exist and there being two of them, but he's in very close proximity to a very large animal that doesn't look happy to see him. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's bad enough when it's a bear, but <laughs> when you have something that, that seems to have sentience and it's that size, you know, it's, it's, it's like encountering, you know, one of those giant Vikings or something, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary experience. So he's backing up slowly and he's talking to this thing and he's, you know, reassured, you know, he figures, you know, if nothing else, his tone of voice is going to help, right? He's reassuring it that he doesn't mean any harm by it. He's just going to back away here. He's going to move off to the side of the trail and, you know, they're just welcome to pass and, you know, have a nice day, right? Well, as he's starting to move off the trail on one side, the two Sasquatch move off the trail to the other side and vanish. Just disappear. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. 
It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, they don't go into the forest. They don't, you know, they don't camouflage themselves. You know, they, they just, poof, they're gone. Yeah. So those are the kinds of stories that make you go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so and, and, and the ones that I encountered, um, you know, I had a, a, a glowing red eye uh, encounter that was in, um, Newfoundland or New Brunswick? I never can remember which. I, I think it was Newfoundland. Um, guy was a was a, a moonshiner and uh, encountered a Sasquatch with glowing red eyes. Again, farther north. So most of the weird ones that I ran across were up in the northern territories. What about some of the uh, like the three toed and the like the the unusually toed prints? Are those kind of scattered throughout, or were there's more? Yeah, they they show up every places? once in a while. Probably the most famous example of that was the uh, uh, the Traverse Spine Gorilla, uh, <laughs> which is uh, the name that was given to a creature that was um, showing up in Traverse Spine, Newfoundland. Yeah, um, you know, there's so many of these stories. Sometimes it's hard to remember where they come from. Um, so if I misquote, please don't don't send me hate mail. Um, but yeah, uh, Traverse Spine is a river uh, that, that traverses that region. And um, there was a settlement there. This is early, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and this creature left, uh, pretty sure it was three-toed tracks, three or four-toed tracks, um, which, you know, the, you know, you had a whole community of hunters and trappers, right? Um, they didn't have any trouble following this trail. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the thing would step over. It was obviously huge because it stepped over obstacles that they had to go around. Um, and the, the really interesting thing about that, and it got the name Traverse Spine Gorilla, because that's one of the witnesses said it looked, it looked like a gorilla. It was like a big gorilla, but it was standing on its back legs. Um, the interesting thing about this creature is that it, uh, it had a, a thing for a particular family. Um, I don't recall the family name off the top of my head, but uh, it was seen at uh, one of the first sightings. Uh, one of the daughters was outside and saw this thing standing in the, in the wood line, um, staring at her. And of course she went running back into the house um, later on, same family, uh, kids were playing in the cabin and the thing was peeking in the window, which is a pretty typical Sasquatch behavior. Yeah. Um, they freaked out. Mom 
wasn't having it, grabs her shotgun and goes out. Uh, the thing is running off into the bush. Um, she shoots at it and, and claims that she hit it. But, um, you know, of course, there's there's no body. Um, but the, the funny uh, kind of uh, uh, side story to this is many years later, um, she's being interviewed by a you know, guy from one of the local universities who's a zoologist type person. And he's trying to convince her that she, that, that she saw, a, 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 it's called a barren grizzly, very rare species of brown bear, right? She says, she basically looks at him and says, dude, I know what a bear looks like. I killed 12 of them. You know, I, you know that, that was no bear. <laughs> So she's very matter of fact about it. That was no bear. <laughs> but, you know, if somebody who's, who's actually bought down 12 bears tells me that what they were looking at wasn't a bear, I'm inclined to believe them. Yeah, that's something that comes up again and again in the book is, mm-hmm. that, you know, people being told that what they were seeing is a, was a bear or, yeah. or, or seeing that they thought it was a bear the first time. There's also some things where first they think it's like a barrel or something. Or, or they think it's the back end of a moose. Or, yeah, and it stands yeah, up. It's the, yeah. it's the back end of a moose. Or there's the one, uh, the, uh, the EMS lady who's coming out of um, uh, that, the oil field in, in uh, northern Alberta, I believe, um, who at first sees this thing and thinks it's a tree stump. It's a really big tree stump, yeah. and then it mm-hmm. stands up, and she's like, holy crap, that's not a tree stump. Um, but, yeah, so the Traverse Fine Girl is a good example of, of the, you know, the sort of three-toed track kind of thing. Uh, it doesn't seem to happen quite as much up here. Um, and in general, um, tracks seem to be harder to come by up here. Um, a lot of that is because we have uh, – the, the, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the places where these creatures are seen have this sort of mossy uh, undergrowth. So you know it leaves an impression, but you don't get a clear imprint like you get along riverbanks and, and that sort of thing. So um, there are footprint finds up here, um, but they just don't seem to be quite as common as they are uh, in the U.S. So one of the things that you did in the book is that you got a lot of roadside encounters and you, I mean, you say like, a, you know, as you're going through province by province, you say, okay, we'll hit this in another chapter. And so you've got a whole chapter about roadside encounters. And and this has to be really the most common form of encounter that I hear about with Bigfoot Sasquatch all the time. It's like we're driving down the road and mm-hmm. all of a sudden we saw Bigfoot cross in front of the car or across on the side of the car. And, and so why did you choose to have a whole chapter about just these roadside encounters? Well, first of all, as you point out, um, you know, probably the most common Sasquatch, Sasquatch sighting is roadside sighting. Um, is it, it is, it's almost a, uh, you know, it's almost a meme in Sasquatch lore that you have uh, this, you know, person, they're driving along, da, 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 and huh, there's a Sasquatch. It walks across the road in front of them. Um, it's running along the side of the road beside them. Um, 
you know, there's one uh, encounter in Ontario, young, young guy, he was a teenager at the time the sighting happened. He's driving along the back of his dad's Cadillac or whatever, a uh, great big old car. Um, he happens to look out of the rear view mirror or the rear view uh, window of, of the vehicle and sees a Sasquatch scramble down the embankment of the road and across the road behind them, which got me to wondering, you know, it's like how many Sasquatch sightings actually get missed because the Sasquatch decided to cross behind the vehicle instead of in front of it. Um, he actually got a pretty good look at this thing because they were coming up to a, a stop sign and the brake lights came on. And so, you know, he got a, a pretty good, you know, within 20 yards or so sighting of this creature in Ontario. Uh, not too far from, uh, you know, civilized populated areas. Uh, of course, it was more sparse back in that time period. I think this was in the 60s, but um, still, uh, there, you know, there's a roadside sighting in St. Catharines, Ontario, uh, which is two truck drivers driving along the, the Queen E, uh, which is a major thoroughfare that runs through this area. Um St. Catharines is a town of about 150,000 people, which is adjoined by other, you know, sort of uh, uh, distant suburbs of Toronto, right? Um, these guys claim they saw a Sasquatch down in a riverbed um, in, in the St. Catharines area, um, which is uh, maybe an hour from where I live. <laughs> um, so uh, I thought that one was really interesting. But so the most common kind of, of sighting is the roadside sighting. And, you know, when I wrote uh, Phantom Black Dogs, um, I talked a little bit about roads. And, you know, because the, the black dog apparition is almost always seen along the road. Um, and why would that be? You know, and, and I conjecture a little bit about roads being liminal areas because they're not here and they're not there. They're betwixt and between. Uh, and liminal areas seem to be places that breed uh, these Fortean paranormal type encounters. Um, you know, so it seems like it, there's also the whole theory that uh, some roads at least follow what what the, the English call ley lines. Um, so there's a source. If if the Sasquatch is a creature that actually is is walking from one world to the other, mm -hmm. you figure that if they had an available energy source to help them make that transition, they'd use it. You know, and a, and a ley line, uh, the source of geomagnetic or earth energy would be I think a good candidate. I know that there are people in the magical community that have experimented with using that kind of energy. Um, so, you know, it just, I, I, I talk a, a lot about the sightings that happened along roads. And then I conjecture a little bit about why they happen along roadsides. Um, you know, the other thing too, and this is also something I talked about in Phantom Black Dogs. When you're driving, uh, it's very easy to get into a sort of a trance state, yeah. which is conducive to psychic activity. Um, and so it could be that a certain percentage of these sightings are actually psi events where somebody is actually looking at the other world and seeing one of these things. 
Um, you know, so I mean, there's all kinds of theories that we can go into, right, uh, about why it is that roadside sightings are so prevalent. But the major fact is that, you know, if you're going to see a Bigfoot, chances are you're going to see it along a roadside, which is really weird when you consider that these creatures are supposed to be so elusive mm-hmm. and so intelligent. It's like, why? <laughs> You know, because a lot of times when you see these roadside encounters, the Bigfoot walks practically out in front of a car. It's like they have complete disregard for the vehicle. You know, like it's not even there. You know, or they're almost surprised when they realize that it's there. Yeah. So you, you get that impression that maybe they're not completely phased into our reality when they're walking along roadsides. Or that their relationship to us is central in it yeah yeah exactly so it just you know the roadside sightings you know constitute a a a large body of of you know anecdotal lore and they also give you some pause about the theories about what sasquatch actually is so um that's that's kind of why i chose to do a whole chapter on that yeah and you make the point that not only do they seem to not notice but they seem to be going about their business as if as if no one is there as if the car isn't there at all either yeah exactly it's just just like okay well there you go (laughs) it's almost like they don't see it yeah, and and you wonder if if uh, you wonder what their perception of the vehicle is. Yeah, you know, we like to get into the mind of a Bigfoot sometime and see. You know, it's, what is it they're seeing when when the big iron <laughs> iron thing goes flying by? Some of them probably don't believe in us. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, what like, it is. Oh, that's those little foots. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I have a question about this vast wilderness in Canada. Uh, is this under some kind of uh, management or stewardship of the government, much like, uh, you know, so much of the American West? A lot of it is, well, some of it is. Um, for instance, there's a, an area just north of me, two or three hours north of me, called Algonquin Provincial Park. It's absolutely massive uh, park that takes up a good bit of uh, kind of south central ontario i guess and which also you know not coincidentally is the site of uh, a number of sasquatch encounters in in that area um some of the land uh is actually native reserves uh what what's called a reservation in the united states um some of it is just provincial territory and it's not uh it's not a park. It's not, uh, uh, you know, it's not been preserved in any particular way. Um, it's just, there's so much of it. Right. You know, they haven't done, you know, anything in particular with it. So it's just, you know, again, uh, you have to realize how big these provinces are. Um, and, you know, I mean, let's face it. Most people, are not going to want to live in some of these areas because the the climate gets really harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we had a, a cold snap up here in, in Canada, the Arctic vortex thing that came down yeah, the yeah, last week. And um, we had 
temperatures in the uh, up in the Yukon, the Northwest Territories, that were in the minus thirty, or I'm sorry, minus forty, minus fifty Celsius, which is well below zero Fahrenheit too. Um, I, where I live, we got down to minus twenty or so, which is right at the the zero, little below the zero mark. Um, so it gets super cold up here, and um, even in you know the the more southern areas, and you get snow, and uh, you know it's it's uh, you have to be a pretty hardy individual to to survive up in, in, in the more Northern areas of Canada. So a lot of that land doesn't really belong to anybody. Um, it's just been the traditional, uh, traditional land of, uh, you know, local indigenous peoples and so forth. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, those like, what is it? What was it? 50 mile or 150 miles of the U S border. Most mm-hmm. of the population of Canada and just, the like vast 30, majority, yeah. Was it 35 million people or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and we don't have, you know, the other thing that works for there being more wilderness in Canada is that we just don't have as many people up here. Um, and, you know, and a lot of people in the United States think that if they cross the U.S. border into Canada, there's suddenly like this ice sheet. And, you know, there's people living in igloos with polar bears and stuff. I, I kid you not. Uh, I talked to a Canadian border guard once who, middle of summer, right, this car came in from the United States and they had skis strapped on top of the car. And he asked them where they were headed and they weren't headed anywhere where there was any likelihood of there being snow. (laughs) But everybody just, you know, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, once you cross the border, you're in the Arctic. Um, so, you know, it, that discourages people from, I think, moving here and, uh, and living here. Um, Before we started uh, recording, we talked a little bit about, you know, the growing popularity of uh, Bigfoot in the U.S. And uh, I was curious as to whether um, the population in Canada seems as uh, receptive to ideas of this, uh, whether it's gaining popularity in the same kind of way. I think that, um, you know, as with the United States, uh, you know, a lot of people view Sasquatch as kind of a joke, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that's, 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 that's a guy who sells the jerky and stuff. Right. Um, there are, uh, some serious researcher type people up here. Um, uh, people like John Worms, um, who's, who wrote a wonderful book called strange creatures seldom seen. Really, only available on PDF now. But uh, if you ever get a chance to read this, it's just a cornucopia of, of cryptozoological weirdness here in Canada. Giant beavers and giant snakes. I talk a lot about that book in, in Canadian Monsters and Mysteries. Um, Tom Steenberg, uh, who wrote a whole book on Sasquatch in Alberta. Um, you know, and there are organizations here that kind of mirror what the BFRO is doing. There's a Sasquatch. Uh, I can't never remember what they call it. Canadian Sasquatch or Sasquatch. They might actually call it Sasquatch Canada. There's also an Alberta Sasquatch organization. And there are some, some uh, researchers in British Columbia, obviously, but I, I wasn't really paying that much attention to it. So there are uh, some people that take 
the, the Sasquatch experience very seriously, obviously. But um, I think that part of the reason that uh, there are more people maybe that take it seriously up here is there's a, a large indigenous population up here too. And uh, like I said, they, you know, they don't have any, any qualms about, you know, the, Sasquatch is a fact to them. It's not, you know, something they have to prove or anything like that. So, you know, your people on your, uh, on your reserves or, you know, people that grew up in, in the native areas are, are much more open to that kind of thing. But I wouldn't say that uh, Sasquatch is maybe any more popular up here than it is in the U.S. Um, it, it may just be that people tend to take it maybe to give it a little more um, latitude than, you know, than the U S cause you know, a lot of times if, you know, somebody says they saw a Sasquatch in, in the United States, they immediately get the ridicule ridicule factor going. And so they clam up and don't talk to it about it or talk to anybody about it. Um, you might get that reaction up here, but um, I think you're probably less likely to, um, if for no other reason that people are a little more polite up here, I think. <clears throat> yeah. It's just a general uh, but, cultural difference. Yeah. But I've told people, um, you know, because people ask me, uh, you know, at my work, um, you know, words kind of gotten around that I write books about weird stuff. And uh -oh. you know, people, people ask me about my, uh, uh, about my books and I told them my latest book is about Sasquatch. And they're like, Oh yeah. What do you think about that? You know, it's not like, Oh yeah. What a doofus. You know? Um, it's like, well, you know, I mean, there's something out there. People are seeing something <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, I can buy that. <laughs> so, um, you know, if they're laughing at you, they're not doing it to your face. Let's talk a little bit about some of these stranger aspects. And we talked about, you did mention the vanishing uh, Sasquatch. But we can talk a little bit about, and we talked about the, the, the different toad prints and these type of things that are just weird. Right. right. We should mention that you do talk about this kind of um, wilderness poltergeist, or as um, Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner like to say, the wilderness geist type of thing. Uh, this aspect that is just like very, very strange of the rock throwing, wood knocks, these type of things. So... One of the things that I did in this book and very deliberately chose to do um, was to focus on visual sightings. In other words, what BFRO classifies as a class A sighting. Um, in other words, the person laid eyes on a Sasquatch. They, they saw the creature. And the reason that I did that um, is you know, it's very much the case that there's a whole um, uh, subset of encounters that are credited to Sasquatch that, uh, you know, that people call Class B encounters, right? That I don't necessarily think are the work of, you know, a giant bipedal ape in the forest. Um, class B sightings are, are, you know, typified by things like vocalizations, movement in the brush, uh, footprints, um, 
you know, and, and various other, uh, you know, the, the rock throwing, various other uh, phenomena, you know, people finding um, prey animals hanging in trees, uh, that sort of thing, stick structures. Um, you know, and a lot of people will go into an area and they'll see these kinds of things or have these kinds of experiences and assume that they're related to Sasquatch. And, uh, you know, as you pointed out, uh, Tim Brenner, Joshua Cutchins, right, Azcat, all those guys um, have long ago said, you know, that if you took all of this stuff that people are experiencing in the woods and you put it in a house, you'd call it a poltergeist. Right. And so I spent a chapter in the book uh, and I plan to expand this into uh, into a, another book. I spent a chapter in the book talking about, OK, well, here is uh, here, you know, the, the X number of things that constitute, you know, your standard class B sightings, things like we were talking about, the footprints, the movements in the brush, the vocalizations, the, you know, the weird things hanging in trees, stick structures and all that kind of stuff. And then I looked at uh, a couple of sources on the poltergeist phenomena and almost everything that people are talking about that constitutes uh, a class B sighting can be uh, accounted for by the poltergeist phenomena. Um, good example, Snellgrove Lake. Uh, we're talking about, you know, the Monster Quest people and they're out doing their Sasquatch attacks uh, episode. You know, they're all excited because they think that uh, they may have DNA evidence of a Sasquatch and, and, uh, and all this stuff. Last night that they're there, I believe, they have a rock throwing incident where you know, rocks are just coming out of the forest and hitting uh, the roof of this cabin that they're staying in. Now, two things about this interested me. One is, you know, obviously uh, there's nothing in the forest supposedly that has hands that can throw rocks, right? Um, you know, bears don't throw rocks. Uh, raccoons don't throw rocks. I mean, you know, people throw rocks and maybe Sasquatches throw rocks. Um but the interesting thing is, you know, everybody basically bails out and, and, and runs into the cabin and hides, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's like there was, it seemed to me a, a, a fear reaction that was uh, over and above what you would think of being the case just from having some rocks at the, the roof of your cabin. I don't know if they were thinking the Sasquatches were going to come running out and, and take them all or what. But So they're all huddled inside the cabin, but they make one poor cameraman go out there. Um, and he scans the entire area with, uh, you know, night vision, thermal, all of that stuff and sees nothing. There's nothing there. Yeah. Now, if you had a large bipedal ape throwing rocks at you, it should show up on thermal. I mean, you know, plain and simple. Or you should be able to see it with a night vision camera. I mean, the wood's not that thick. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, it is that thick, but um, you should be able to d- discern something out there. Um, and when you go to research the lore of poltergeists and this, the, uh, the parapsychological um, research on poltergeists, you very quickly discover that one of the hallmarks of the poltergeist is throwing rocks. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever happens to be available inside the house. Um, You know, there are one of the old ghost hunting tricks back in the day before they had all this high tech EMF equipment, all that stuff, is that they would put down um, a, a layer of flour in a supposedly haunted area. Right. Yep. And then sometimes come back and find footprints there. Yeah, that's one of the oldest techniques. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They come back and find footprints in the flower from these, you know, ghostly manifestations. You know, the uh, the Bell Witch is supposed to have left, uh, I believe, human footprints behind uh, on occasion. So, which is a very poltergeisty kind of phenomenon. Um, yeah, she also, she also rocks and, and, and was attributed oh, yeah, to yeah. certain things appeared and yeah, you know, so, these type of things, yeah. Yeah, so when you get into the poltergeist stuff, then you get into the really weird crap where stuff just appears in midair and hits you in the head. Yeah, yeah, apports, um, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, again, you know, when you talk about these people who are leaving bait, for the Sasquatches, uh, and they have a game camera pointed at this thing, um, and the bait disappears, but there's nothing on the camera. Yeah. So if you can make something appear, maybe you can make something disappear. Yeah. Cause there are recorded, uh, poltergeist, uh, phenomena. The boards talk about a case in India where, um, they were trying to get this poltergeist to leave them alone. They were leaving offerings out for this thing. And there was the sound, this thing, the, the fruit or whatever being picked up. And there was the sound of eating. And then like an apple core would appear on the plate. Yeah. I mean, so when you start talking about these, you know, vocalizations, um, there's any number of, of wild vocalization stories from poltergeists. Um, ranging from human speech to stuff that might be reminiscent of what they called samurai chatter in the Sierra sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's no reason why, you know, the poltergeist phenomena couldn't be making these, these, uh, you know, vocalizations, the wood knocks that people get all the time. Uh, again, that's table wrapping. If you go indoors, you know, right, right, <laughs> I mean, yeah. one of the, the fox, classics. Your Fox sisters. What, yeah. Yeah, one of the classics of the spiritualist, uh, you know, revival back in the the 1800s. I mean, so, and if you have a phenomena that is capable of moving, uh, you know, uh, giant armoires that weigh several hundred pounds, and, and this is also a documented case that I talk about in the book where New Jersey, I think it was a New Jersey state policeman, you know, was investigating a you know, poltergeist uh, uh, encounter incident and saw this thing move when the, the mother and child were within his view. If you have a phenomena that can move heavy objects like that, then 
uh, you know, stick structures would be no problem at all. Yeah. Now, <laughs> why they do that? Who the hell knows? Um, this is why I love this stuff. Is you know, there is a mystery, and I think there will continue to be a mystery because even if they pull, you know, a, a bipedal ape out of the forest, and and you know, it becomes a zoological reality, it still doesn't explain some of this weird crap that happens in the woods. Right, and that that was going to be kind of be what I was going to say was that this seems like it could be a, a, a whole different phenomenon that has just been mixed in with the Sasquatch. Well, yeah, I mean, it does. You know, I mean, Tim and and, uh, and Joshua point out that uh, you know, for instance, you have the anomalous light phenomena that accompany mm-hmm. a lot of Sasquatch right. stuff. Um, you know, so there's definitely, you know, the, all you have to do is read where the footprints end to see that there's a lot of weird, high strangeness stuff that happens around Those a lot of Sasquatch. Books. They're excellent, excellent books. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm always humbled by their research because <laughs> those guys, I mean, uh, you know, and, and Joshua, I, you know, he writes dissertations, you know, <laughs> I'm still, tr- I, I'm working my way through ecology of the souls and it's an excellent, excellent book, but it's so dense that it takes a little time to, to get through. You brought something up that I wanted to hit. It was this fear response that mm-hmm. from, from Sasquatch, and, you know, and I've heard this thing that it's been attributed to like somehow, Bigfoot can do sonar and these type of things or infra infrasound. Infrasound, yeah. To make you yeah, t- feel weird and these type of things. But some people feel this a little bit more deeply than that. Yeah. So I have a I have a love-hate relationship with the infrasound theory. Um, it is true that certain predatory animals are for instance, tigers, are capable of producing low frequency vibrations that uh, seem to paralyze prey Um, and that defense, um, uh, you know, like DARPA research for, uh, for, for this kind of of stuff is, you know, to weaponize it um, has shown that certain frequencies uh, result in uh, feelings of disturbance, feelings of, of, fear and you know an intense fear reaction so maybe maybe uh you know it's possible you know i i think that uh at some point um, you get to the place where if you keep assigning all of these you know bizarre evolutionary and, and this is something tim renner's pointed out too you know if you keep assigning all of these bizarre um evolutionary uh tools to Sasquatch, then you've sort of created a superhero. <laughs> you know? And and it's like this creature would be so unique that it might as well be paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you know it's 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 capable of uh, you know disguising itself in you know all all environments and and uh, you know it has infrasound to paralyze people and and this is how they disappear by distracting people with their infrasound and all this stuff right um it would make sense that it would have overtaken us if that's the case yeah yeah if if it had that much evolutionary advantage then how come sasquatch doesn't run the world uh, you know? might be a better world yeah it might be 
but um, so I have some some issues around that. You know, it seems like uh, they're trying so hard to make it into a biological creature one way or the other that they've actually created a paranormal, you know, superhero uh, just by assigning all of this evolutionary advantage to it. But the other thing that I always point out in, in these circumstances, when we're talking about this extreme fear reaction, um, those people who have familiarity with the magical and esoteric uh, lore know that one of the things that happens to people who evoke spirits carelessly is the same sort of reaction. You get this, you sometimes will get uh, uh, an extreme fear reaction, uh, sometimes coupled with a, a manifestation in a form that, that is, is extremely frightening, which is why, uh, you know, the people who do grimoire work and that sort of thing are very careful about telling the spirit to appear in a, a, a comely form, basically, um, and not to scare the crap out of me. You know? um, so if Sasquatch is a being that is capable of moving from one form, one world to the other, um, as we've talked about, you know, uh, if not all Sasquatch are biological entities, in other words, then it, it makes sense that uh, they may have that same sort of thing where, you know, if they're about to make their transition or they feel threatened, um, they're capable of producing that extreme fear reaction in people uh, just as a, a, a byproduct of their spiritual being, their spiritual nature. Just a thought. And to kind of wrap this up, I wanted to ask you too, but uh, we've talked about your animistic beliefs and all these type of things. What do you see uh, from some of this research that you've done on Sasquatch that could, could fit in with that? Well, like I said, um, I, I'm very much inclined to listen to uh, indigenous beliefs in whatever area that I live in. Um, and the indigenous people in Canada are almost universally of the opinion that, you know, the Sasquatch is, is a thing. You know, I mean, they have a name for it. Um, like I said, you know, Sabe is, is used as an exemplar of one of the, the, the virtues that uh, native people try to live by. Um, also, the Sasquatch is uh, considered to be, by a lot of, of uh, these groups, considered to be a being that walks from one world to the other and back. Um, so it can be spiritual um, or it can have a physical form uh, when it moves into our, our realm. Um, as far as, you know, where it fits into an animistic belief system, it, it is a part of the ecology of spirits that, you know, the, the biome of spirits that exist in whatever area that it happens to be a part of. Um you know, everybody wants to think that, oh, well, you know, we have these nature spirits and they're responsible for the growing trees and da, 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 da. There's some of that, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of people's view of spirits has been, uh, you know, has been 
shaped by the spiritualist movement, you know, sort of unconsciously. So there's a lot of dead people wandering around. And, uh, and you know, Victorian views of fairy. Yeah, you know, so there's these, these little things fluttering around, you know, you know, touching their their magic wands to the flowers and making them bloom and stuff. Um, if we get into real fairy lore and we get into real, uh, you know, animistic spirit lore, you know, if you you talk to people that have contact with the other world, the realm of spirits is a whole lot larger and a whole lot more diverse and a whole lot more. Um, interesting than we maybe make it out to be. Uh, I think that it becomes very difficult for people to understand that there are spirits out there. We have no idea what the hell they do, you know, or what their purpose of existence is. If you happen to buttonhole one, you might ask it and it might tell you, or it might just tell you to go away. Um, so, uh, you know, the indigenous folks seem to feel that Sasquatch are, are guardians of, of the wilderness, guardians of the forest a lot of times, sometimes even guardians of the tribe, as I pointed out. And I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it may be that Sasquatch and encountering Sasquatch may be, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of people either flee the forest entirely or they become obsessed with this thing and spend a lot of time in the wilderness. And it may just be that simple, you know, because if you spend a lot of time in the woods, you certainly begin to have a deeper and deeper respect for the woods. And particularly if you think there's a large bipedal something or other wandering around out there. Yes. Yes. The, the um, so, the woods. yeah. So, you know, you, you tend to, to develop more respect for the wilderness and maybe that's, maybe that translates into your everyday life and you become more ecologically uh, minded and so forth. Just a thought. Um, it may be that, that Sasquatch encounters are catalysts or initiations for this kind of, of behavior. Uh, we just don't know uh, there's so much about, the other world that we don't know. You know, we think that we know a lot of stuff. And, you know, we have tomes and tomes and tomes and tomes full of lore about spirits, but that really just touches the surface. Um, uh, and, and spirits range over a vast, vast um, uh, kind of polarity, sort of almost a yin-yang type polarity where you know, there are lots of spirits that are okay with people. There are some spirits that are not okay with people, you know, and choose not to interact with us at all. And so we can't really know a whole lot about those things. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a topic that would take many lifetimes to explore. I am always about just embracing the mystery. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. And, and not trying to solve the mystery we could talk about it all we want, but I think once you think yeah, I've got the mystery solved, I think that's when you get into religion, and then that's yeah. Uh, yeah once systems. you think yeah, once you think you have the mystery solved, yeah, the mystery jumps up in your face with another manifestation. 
you know it's like like the evolution of ufos over over time you went from airships to foo fighters to flying saucers to you know the giant triangles and who knows what else now the tic tacs yeah it's like it always seems to be one step ahead of you <laughs> it does and i think that's uh that much like bigfoot's large gate there one step ahead of you I think that's a good place to stop, Travis. Um, okay. I want to thank you for coming on. Where can people get this book, uh, Sasquatch Canada, and also your other books? And what's next for you? Because you're writing another one. Yep, I'm in the process. I'm, uh, I'm doing research on what we were talking about with the whole poltergeist uh, slash um, Sasquatch encounter. And I'm not entirely sure exactly what direction that's going to go yet. Um, but it's going to be interesting. Uh, as far as where you can get my books, uh, they're available on Amazon. Um, if you do eBooks, they're available on Kindle. Um, if you do Kindle Unlimited, they're available for free. Um, if you like paperbacks, they are also available in paperback form. Um, and uh, I'll also mention that I'm available on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So I have WT Watson author page on Facebook. So I love to hear from people. Um, love to hear what people think. If you've had encounters that you want to share, I'm always happy to hear those. I'm a collector of stories. Um, so it's not necessary. It doesn't necessarily have to be about Sasquatches. Um, I don't pretend that I'm going to solve your problem for you. You know, if you have a problem, but uh, I'm certainly willing to listen. So <laughs> All right. Excellent, sir. Thank you so much. We're going to close out this episode, but I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank uh, W.T. Watson for being part of this tonight. And uh, guys, we are Conspiranormal. If you're new to this somehow, and we also have our Patreon. Sergio can tell you where to find that if you want to support us and our show. You can find that at patreon.com slash conspiranormal, where we have different benefits for different levels of pledging your support, including monthly presentations under the Strange Realities brand that we are going to be resuming here uh, pretty soon, so we'll let everyone know about that. And uh, we have these Patreon episodes as well, almost weekly, at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. All right, guys, stay tuned for uh, any announcement about Strange Realities Conference. I'm slowly trying to get something together uh, here fairly soon, and uh, just stay tuned for that. We'll see you next week on Conspiranormal. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, 
or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 